house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. solitary interaction I've had on every single website, Mom. Honey, you know I just do this to keep you safe. Okay, let me see your phone. It's a bit of an invasion, don't you think? Don't allow guilt to prevent you from doing what's right. You said something about video games? My son's pretty into them, you know. I'm very dangerous. I am keeping my daughter safe. And of course I can teach all of you how to do the same. I have installed a camera in my daughter's brain and a seven-digit pin code on her vagina. We got six new subscribers today. You sure you're comfortable? Yeah. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast approved by Dan Rather, though we expect him to retract that soon. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Joe Reed. I am here, as always, with my co-host, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Hello, Joe. How are you? Hey, Chris. Hey, Joe. Have you ever seen Pale Blue Dot? Uh... <laughs> okay, so I love that the they talk so much about Pale Blue Dot in this movie, Men, so Women, much. and Children. And the original title for the uh, this adaptation was Pale Blue Dot before they just went with the book title. You know what else was originally titled Pale Blue Dot coming out this year? Lucy in the Car with Diapers. Lucy in the Car with Diapers, more formally known as Lucy in the Sky, starring Natalie Portman. It's... I will say, Pale Blue Dot is a terrible title for a movie, so both of those cases, they were right to change them. Lucy in the Sky seems both descriptive and also it's like a fun Beatles song that people like, so that's fine. Men, but women, they and gave children. You, they gave you a complete walk into that joke. Your yeah. Lucy in the Car with Diapers joke. Yeah. Which I will never let die. It's, I mean, it's what the, it's the famous story of the female astronaut who comes home from space and starts up a relationship with a guy and gets like obsessed with him. And when he shacks up with another woman, she drives across the country in one shot wearing diapers so she doesn't have to stop to like go to the bathroom or whatever. And then doesn't successfully, the real life story is she didn't actually kill anybody. She was just going to try and kill someone, right? Correct. And I think that this, this movie is only supposed to be loosely. Oh, yeah. On... That's why I feel free of like saying that, because but... I don't think that's what's going to actually happen in the movie. I think the movie is going to be a lot about a little a lot more respectful of this woman who came back from space and and now her perspective is changed, essentially. Yes. 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 Um, I'm excited to see it because I love Natalie Portman. Of course. I'm... She's got another accent. <laughs> that is Excited true. for people to relitigate Natalie Portman in accents. As I said when she got the when they announced the thing where Jane Foster was gonna be the new Thor, um there'll never be another Ragnarok. Not another Camelot. <laughs> so I'm excited for all sorts of new fun Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman's accent in Jackie is going to haunt me for the rest of my life. Like, I do dearly hope that, like, when I die and whatever afterlife I'm presented to, it's just like, welcome, Joseph. <laughs> you, finally, you finally made it. 
It's very strange, but I love it. I never said that. <laughs> it's okay. Do we maybe not give Billy Crudup enough credit for that performance too in that movie? Those scenes that the two of them together are the best scenes in the movie, yes? So are Peter Sarsgaard. I just recently rewatched that movie because, like, how can you not rewatch Jackie? But um, all of those performances are great in that movie. Everyone is great. It's just that Natalie Portman is so, like, monumental. Yeah. Um, It's my favorite kind of performance in that it starts out and you're just like, "Ooh, ooh, I don't know if I like this. And then it just, like, it doesn't wear you down, but it, like, at some point, you're just like, oh, oh, okay, that's This what all this clicks is. into place. Yeah. And, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. the gaucheness of this is absolutely accurate. Yeah. You know what you just described, Joseph? Uh-oh. A Natalie Portman performance. <laughs> that is true, actually. That is Fox Lux, that is Black Swan, all of her best work. It's even closer to a certain extent. Um, though she's playing much less of like a broad type. No, but, but closer like, her character closer is absolutely uh, someone who reveals herself over time. That's the whole point of that character. Mm-hmm. I would say Annihilation is the exception because I think she's incredibly strong yeah. right off the gate from that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like that movie does the, you know, unfolding for itself. But um, no, that's a good point with Natalie Portman. God, all roads lead to Natalie Portman. I never, I had kind of forgotten what a nut I am for her before we started doing this podcast. And then it's just like, now people are just like, man, you really like Natalie Portman, huh? And I'm like, I guess, I guess that cat's out of the bag. Like, I do. I love her. He is for Portman. Exactly. It is not for Profound, which is what Men, Women, and Children is not. Wait, before yeah. we get into men, women, and children, one more time, tell the tell the listeners about our mailbag episode. All right, it's a final call for mailbag question submissions. We will be recording, as of airing this episode, within the week, we will be um, recording our mailbag episode. Um, so definitely send us your questions. You can send them to us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. You can also email us at hadoscarbuzz at gmail.com. You can ask us whatever questions you want, whether it's things on previous previous episodes our personal tastes our thoughts on previous oscar seasons current oscar seasons you can even just shout out the names of movies you want us to do um uh anything like that but yeah we've been getting some wonderful questions and wonderful feedback you guys have been very very sweet um so yeah last call for questions send them in yay Good. Now let us get to talking about this bad movie that we've got on the slate for this week. We decided, was there any peg for this? Or we were just like, let's just talk about men, women, and children. Let's just fucking do it. I think we just like threw it out there. Yeah. Um, This is the 2014 movie Men, Women, and Children directed by Jason Reitman. Written by Jason Reitman and Aaron Cressida Wilson, whose name you should remember from when we talked about The Girl on the Train. She was the screenwriter for that movie as well. Uh, This is adapted from the novel by Chad Culchin. It is starring, among others, it's a big ensemble cast, but it's Jennifer Garner, Judy Greer, Adam Sandler, Rosemary DeWitt, Ansel Elgort, Caitlin Deaver, and for one incredible, well, he's sort of in the background of a lot of shots, but one particular incredible scene, Timothy Chalamet, of course. Gets so, punched by Ansel Elgort. Does not only gets punched by Ansel Elgort, but like Ansel picks him up by like the the 
collar and like raises him above his head and raises him above his head and slams him down on a lunch table, at which point I spontaneously came. And (laughs) it was the moment of moments. It was quite something. Uh, I will also say LaGuardia High School, uh, not classmates because they were a few years apart, but uh, schoolmates, Ansel Elgort and Timothy Chalamet. Did you ever see that thing on the red carpet where Ansel talked about how relatively popular the two of them were in high, in high school? Who was more popular in school? Timothy. Timothy was so popular. Ansel had a calendar with him in it. Are you kidding me? How could I have possibly been more popular? Not, I don't think so. Timothy's really popular. I auditioned for Guys and Dolls. I auditioned for Hairspray. These are the musicals we were doing. He was the lead. I didn't get into them. That's why all those rap videos are online, because I was doing the talent show instead of the musicals. No one disliked Timmy. Some people disliked me. I can't imagine. No, everyone loves Timmy. I don't know if that's something I want to see, but tell me more. It was kind of charming, because Ansel was like, yeah, nobody didn't like Timmy. Like, they all liked him. He's like, some people didn't like me, but but everybody liked him. And then they talked to to Chalamet about that too, and it was one of those. It's one of those things where like you can sort of just be like, "Ugh, God, two popular straight boys in high school." Like, tell me more. But also, it was I thought charming. I also though am famously, um, I am famously pro, more pro Ansel Elgort than I am Khan, which puts me on the lonely side of a lot of I think discussions. I'm not necessarily Khan. I just have I I I like I like Timote. No, Ansel. Everybody likes oh, Timothy. Ansel. Oh, I think Ansel's good. I just I've disliked some of his movies that other people have loved. Oh, me too. Namely Baby Driver. Yeah, same here. But I think he's good in Baby Driver. Or at least I think he's Correct. well deployed. The the people who drive me crazy are like, Baby Driver's great, Ansel Elgort's the bad thing about it, and I'm just like, stop being exactly wrong on all of your final <laughs> points. Like, please. I don't know. I also kind of like what Ansel Elgort does to the people who don't like him, where it's this very like impotent frustration where it's just like like he's too pretty which fine you know you mentioned you were like we didn't really have a reason to do this but like you could really kind of deploy this movie at really any time to have a relevant oscar oscar conversation to the current year because like everyone is in this movie and a lot of people who are like really hot right now are going to be in the future like people like caitlin dever are in this movie and like there's just fun people to talk about one of my biggest wit yeah one of the my biggest frustrations with this movie is that it does waste some actresses who don't ever get a chance to really shine in movies and it gives Mm. them just the worst fucking roles specifically jennifer garner and rosemary dewitt in this movie who like it's not like jennifer garner's this like unknown actress who like whatever needs a boost but like she doesn't it's it's still rare that she gets a role that is like written well enough to um you know live up to i think what she is able to do in her best stuff and because this was jason reitman it feels like double betrayal because it's just like you were the one who directed her in juno like her best performance the one that like maybe should have won her an oscar i do stand by that and to have her get the worst role in this movie that like sandbags Absolutely. her at every turn. And like I get and that like her essentially to be like a robot to like make the fact that it's the worst role even worse. And not only a robot though, like a robot who like then like occasionally has like incredibly mean spirited instincts. Yeah, just right? like nasty. Like 
And then Rosemary DeWitt gets this like totally lifeless and look like, at this sh- Trump woman. Like okay. that is Rosemary DeWitt's role. Her fucking username on her little I want to have an affair site that like whatever. Isn't it like sad wife it's one two three bored housewife? Like what the fuck? Like just like go copy it right out of a tropes in film and television textbook. It's so Can we also just like get ahead of this because we'll get it. We'll have a sixty second plot description in a you but like can we just get ahead of this and i know some people don't like when we just say actor names instead of the character names there is absolutely no way no. to like reference character names in this movie no no i don't even it's think i made note of as i was watching and like there's so many characters would you if i gave you a billion dollars to answer it right would you be able to give me jennifer garner's f- character's first name I know the last names because I wrote down the last names because I knew I would be doing 60 second plot yeah. descriptions this week. And like, I wanted to at least remember the families. Yeah. Jennifer Gardner plays Patricia. Rosemary DeWitt plays Helen because all sad ladies on in movies are named Helen. Um, Judy Greer's character's name is Donna. Like, no, I'm sorry. Like, what? what is, listener, what is going to help you know who I'm talking about in this movie? If I say Patricia... Or if I say Jennifer Garner, like, come on. It also, uh, like, on, having people. that conversation also illustrates one of the problems of the movie. I yeah. Think. Oh, absolutely. And there are many problems. It's just with a lot movie. of nondescript sad white people. It's, anyway, to continue, uh, it premiered October 1st, 2014, after having world premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival that September. It premiered with a crater, essentially, like... Everybody who saw this movie hated this movie and like immediately and I think people were already down on it from the trailer because the trailer looked very mawkish and very like um unfun. Wasn't it set to like I don't think it was the same thing that the social network did, but it was like that where it there was, was like a little a bit of children's choir to of it. Serious pop song maybe by a children's choir. There was a little bit of that. I don't know if it was a specifically like pop song that people liked, but I definitely Um, remember that kind of sad thing to it. But also, this is, and we'll get to this in a second, this is Jason Reitman already coming off of Labor Day. So, like, already he was one strike and, like, I don't know. No, wait, that's a bad... (laughs) That's a bad... One strike is fine. You're allowed to have two strikes. He basically had two strikes against him after Labor Day. And I think when men, women, and children were just like, okay, now that's over. That's This is your last straw. Which is funny because then he's only able to... I honestly think it's the only reason that people even gave Tully a look was because it was the reteaming with... Uh, Diablo Cody. And now all of a sudden, and that came in the same year as the front runner, and that's my favorite like dichotomy where it's just sort of like, oh, Tully, actually fun and interesting, and people really liked it. And then the front runner people were just like trash. And I saw the front runner last year at TIFF with Jason Reitman in attendance, and like it was this very polite smattering of applause uh, at the end uh, of the movie. And then he, somebody mentioned Tully in like his Q and a, and the audience went like wild, including me in the back. Going, Woo! Yeah. <laughs> and it was like way more enthusiastic of a response than the front runner got in the same room. Yeah. Well, deservedly. So I also should say, I don't, I think there's a temptation or at least there uh, has been a temptation to sort of chalk Jason Reitman up to, like, son of famous director, he's son of, mm-hmm. of Ivan Reitman, and put the silver spoon in his mouth and say that he's not talented, or that, say that, like, he's 
sort of graft like bad qualities onto him. And I don't think yeah. he's terrible, but I do think it's undeniable that he has made some incredibly shockingly bad movies. And I also, is he still Yeah, there's doing... a, there's a range of quality to his movies, but I think you and I are both Jason Reitman defenders. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I would call myself a defender, but I'm at least like, I'm a little bit more balanced. On I would it. call myself that. But is he still doing this Ghostbusters thing? He is, right? Uh, I think filming's already wrapped. It that makes it a lot harder to defend him. Like, yeah, n- nobody wants this. It feels like it. I, we'll see what happens. I mean, like Carrie Coonan in it. Yay, that's exciting. But like, it oh, feels like there are people in this movie who I am excited to see. Uh, it, you know, including the original Ghostbusters again. But here's the thing: is like, we want you to have put to have this chapter behind us. Like the Paul Fig Ghostbusters with the all female cast was such like a toxic press cycle of awful people on the internet and this feels like it's trying to pacify those people and like maybe we could hope for something that's not that but at the same time we don't want it well but that's the thing is i don't think the end product of this matters i think you could make as wonderful a movie as this could, could turn out to be i think it is it is unrealistic to disingenuous to say for anybody to say that making this movie had nothing to do with the backlash against mm-hmm. the Paul Feig all-female Ghostbusters. And I think just making this movie is putting your lot in with sexist, jerk assholes on the internet. Because they are the ones who are clamoring for this movie. Just making this movie is tacitly saying that this movie needed to be made, that a correction to the record needed to be made. And you can't tell me otherwise. I absolutely agree. And, and, he, and I'm, I'm not going to put blame on the cast because I think actors taking roles is a complicated thing and you, you know, people have to work, but I think Jason Reitman didn't need to make this movie. Jason Reitman certainly didn't need to like say the quotes that he said about just like, you know, bringing the, the real Ghostbusters back or whatever the hell. And yeah, that quote was terrible. Was I could understand Jason Reitman thinking he needs to make that movie because especially after the front runner happened, needing to make a movie that makes money. Yeah. But uh, the that quote was not defensible. It's it's a bummer. And it makes me feel like it does. That is the one thing that makes me feel like, oh, maybe Jason Reitman is actually not a good guy. But we are not talking about Ghostbusters 2020 yet. We are talking about men, women, and children, which is bad enough. Chris, I know there's a lot of characters <laughs> in this movie. I know there's a lot of moving parts, and there's a, a lot, lot of, of there's a lot of you know disgust that you have to make you know make room for when you are talking about this movie. But I'm wondering if you could condense all of that into oh, let's say double 30 seconds and i have a mode of attack i feel prepared oh wow she can't she got a plan y'all i got a plan all right i'm terrible at the 60 second plot description and i will not be defeated by this incongruous movie one minute to describe the plot of jason reitman's 2014 film men women and children are you ready yes uh go all you need to know about men, women, and children is PBS, people, be sexton. Um, it basically follows a few households under the same high school uh, set of students. There's the Truby household, which is Adam Sandler and Rosemary DeWitt. They are, like, long married. They um, 
are both thinking about cheating on each other. Uh, meanwhile, like Adam Sandler's computer is broken and he has to jerk off to porn to his son's computer. His son is so addicted to porn that he can't get a boner even when he has sex with like the seconds. hot girl. Um, her name is, uh, I forget her name. Her last Fine. name is Clint, but her mom is Judy Greer who runs like a website for her that posts like semi-scandalous but non-nude photos to like boost her career as like a model or an actress whatever then there's also the mooney household um their mom just recently left them ansel elgord is the son he quits the football team so that he can play uh his video games all day and then he is obsessed with caitlin dever who jennifer garner is her mother and it like monitors all of her online activity and like has her passwords and everything that is time. That's pretty That's good. Just kind of establishing the stakes. I didn't mention that it's all narrated by Emma Thompson for yeah. some reason. The... Which, like, imagine not wanting Emma Thompson to be an element in a movie in some way. And it's just like, there's Emma Thompson is great at it and does like the best that this could possibly be. But, but it's the such conceit a trope. of it. Oh my God. It's, it's so like cynical and like a little mean spirited. And it's like this idea that like Emma Thompson's voice bluntly saying the name of a porn video, that's like really like yes. over sexualized and gross. And her, like her like delivery of it is supposed to be ironic and funny. And it's like, it is in theory, but like in actuality, it just kind of builds to this whole ambiance that the movie has that like, Look at these pathetic yep. people. Yep. Who... And on top of that, it's like it's maybe a little easier to watch this now, a few years removed from the movie. But at the time of the movie, it felt so dated already. Yeah. And it's like it's difficult to talk about like people and their online lives and how we interact with the Internet, both like out in the open and in secret yeah in ways that like how can you keep up with that because it's constantly evolving yeah but like there's something about this movie that feels so passe and very like i don't know like jason reitman feels like he's 20 years older than he is looking down on the internet you know yeah well and so the other thing about this movie before we like get too far down the road is it's based on a novel by this guy named Chad Culchin, who is a not too terribly much older than me, which we've established before. I'm canonically young. So he's not like he's in his 40s. Right. But so he wrote this movie or this book when he was in his like late 30s, let's say. But he's this um, sort of guy like very like heterosexual man not quite a tucker max type but a very much like maxim magazine approved kind of a guy right mm -hmm. where like he wrote these books he wrote this novel called the average american male which was about this guy who like jerked off all the time and played video games and had a bitch girlfriend and he broke up with her and then he like had to find another girlfriend and it was this very like women everywhere basically hated it all of his like ex-girlfriends came forward after and were just like this guy's an asshole like he wrote this character based on me to like get back at me or whatever and generally seems like a real shit person right where um he talked about like 
he was uh, what did i see this i saw this clip of him i was i was doing some research for this he was on like adam carolla's radio show or whatever and just like talking about this movie about like this is a guy who is about a guy who has a girlfriend with a fat ass and he doesn't like her and he breaks up with her and then he tries to like get another girl and like he just seems like a complete shit and so men women and children was seen as this like attempt at maturity from him the book was written in was published in 2011 so a few years before the movie was made i'd be really curious to see how these characters differ in the book than they do in the movie because i think like judy greer's character is seen really sympathetically but then you also have like the only woman the only the only adult woman who is yeah i no, i because think... like there's the there's another character i forget her name um played by uh elena Kemporis, who is also the daughter in my big fat greek wedding too which is great wow <laughs> um, really uh, i loved it um but this is the girl she's... who has the eating disorder or this is the girl who's yes got the... okay yeah yes um who her dad is played by um Shoot, why am I forgetting J. his K. name? J.K. Simmons. Uh, Simmons, sorry. Yeah. Um, and, like, she's probably the least connected, even though she's friends with, like, the girl who has the website. Right. It's, like, there are some, there is some sympathy shown to I think you can definitely people. see the fact that this was a book that was then translated by uh, Aaron Cressida Wilson and Jason Reitman. I, do, I, I think I would be similarly inclined to want to see what the differences are but i think you can get that that uh thread of sort of like the marriage between sandler and rosemary dewitt's character right where like they're both they're both cheating on each other in like this weird synchronized swimming way where they're doing it at the same time like they're both Mm -hmm. on they're like tablets in bed and he's like listening to this they both like are listening to this ashley madison ad on the tv which by the way like talk about a thing that dates your movie very specifically oh is yeah like that one moment in time where ashley madison was happening where like it was it's still shocking to go back and think like they were that upfront about it about their pitch which was essentially just like have an affair like do it yeah for and but so and they go on their like first little illicit they they make their profiles at the same time uh, on these like you know dating sites or whatever and they both like have their initial sexual encounters with the people they're cheating with at the same time it's like annoyingly like magical realist in that way Mm -hmm. where it's just like this wouldn't happen this way and yet like you're not giving me like for as much of like the emma thompson arch narration as we're getting this is not a magical realist movie there is no like even like american beyond like the text messages popping up above people's heads to like give you some visual representation but But you don't really need because like i think of that shot in the mall where it's a million people walking through and you have all of these text bubbles but like also you look at it and everybody's looking down at their phone right but that's just also presentation. That doesn't get into, like, the actual story of it, right? Like, it doesn't change the idea that, like, all this stuff could, like, you know, actually happen. And I think that, that you know, simultaneous cheating felt the most that the movie was bumping up against this thing of, like, that wouldn't really actually happen. Um, right. This sort of American beauty idea of where, you know, at the end, Kevin Spacey is flying through the air, uh, having just been killed or whatever. But so, yeah. anyway, um, that... That storyline is interpreted very much through the lens of 
Adam Sandler's character feeling wounded and Rosemary DeWitt's character feeling like she's the one who's doing more wrong, weirdly. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. So anyway, so Jason Reitman gets a quote, uh, gets a um, blurb on the back of this guy, Chad Culchins, gets a blurb on the back of Men, Women, and Children. And this was probably while, while he was in the process of like acquiring the rights for it. But of um, that book, The Average American Male, Jason Reitman said, it's the first and only romantic comedy I've ever read based on male desire, which, okay, <laughs> like congratulations um, on not I, having what? read or seen anything. And he says, I mean, not to throw out like a cringy example, but have you never seen Annie Hall? Uh, a billion examples, that being, you know, a very prominent one. Yeah, absolutely. And then he says that the book is about what a man wants if given the permission to be honest, which is such like oh, men's rights garbage. So like, yeah, maybe Jason Reitman is just a shitty person. And like who get even in 2011 who gives that quote like it's so so like that is the lens through which i am viewing something like men women and children which is just like oh you're yeah. garbage okay cool congratulations i am watching a movie directed by somebody who's garbage with a garbage take on a garbage it's really book hard by a garbage to defend guy. yeah and it's like it's it's extra frustrating because especially his movies that center around women have a really empathic point of view so like it's hard. I for double me, congratulations to Diablo Cody movies. now for doing all the fucking heavy lifting. But I don't necessarily ascribe like the like her screenplays are like masterpieces. But I don't necessarily ascribe like the visual point of view, the constructive, the construction, the point of view of those movies to her either. Like they feel yeah. like a collaboration. But maybe it's one of those sort of like you know, osmosis things where like the, sure. in collaboration with this person, his instincts to not sell out his female characters come through because you look at something like up in the air, which I know that like some people like up in the air better than others. I like up and, in like, the air. I think it's okay. I think it's, I am not a particular hater, but I'm also not a huge fan. And I think one of the things that I hate the most is the way it sells out the Vera Farmiga character and essentially casts her as the bad guy in a way that I don't feel like was necessary and in a way that feels very much like what this movie does with the Rosemary DeWitt character. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I mean, or I that think it does with like Ansel's unseen mother. Like that's another one where it's just like, Oh, this yeah. like bitch mother has left and, you know, has started a new life, and there's no counterpoint to that. And Judy Greer, for as much as I do think that character is written more more sympathetically than most, but and that still could just is be ascribed to Judy Greer and her performance, though, she's because really like good. she has probably what like the average viewer would enter into the story and say is the most reprehensible, but at the same time she humanizes it in a way that you do sympathize with her. But again, and maybe she that's is... the she is handed this wildly reprehensible character of single mom who's trying to whore her daughter out for fame and fortune, right? And then Jennifer Garner plays this woman who, by the end of the movie, drives this kid to try and kill himself because she's so callous and so protective and so sheltered and yada yada. So, like, I, I think... It's safe to say that like this movie does this movie doesn't have great well-written characters all across the board but I think especially for adult women I don't think it uh I don't think it's good. I don't think it's a good movie for adult women. 
I do, I do, I think you're right about Judy Greer though in her performance. I think if you're gonna give any kind of citation for like best performances in a bad movie, I think the two that stand out in this are Judy Greer and uh, Elgort. I think the two of them are the good ones. Yeah. Not that I, I mean, don't I like think Rosemary DeWitt is good. She has this scene where she gets to fuck Dennis Haysbert, and like the two of them actually make that scene kind of hot, even though like she's like being she's very stammery, awkward, yeah. Yeah. does not know how to talk dirty, but it's a total like she makes it totally believable and like funny and sexy. Like I do like Rosemary DeWitt in this movie. Yeah, how I can mean, you not like Rosemary DeWitt. I want, I want her. I don't know. I want better for her in terms of a character, but I think maybe you're yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think that Jennifer Garner does well with a bad, bad character. I don't think she no. does enough with it to like rescue it at all. It's the worst storyline in the movie, and it's yes. probably, I think, yeah. Here's my thing about this movie. Aside from all of you, all that you have said, which I think is true, I think there's a certain element to this movie is trying to do so much and particularly have all of these conversations about different types of like online behavior and our relationship with different types of things happening online that like it reduce everything ends up being reduced down to like this most obvious talking point that's already behind the curve of the way things that are moving that it's like, if this movie took any one of these storylines and made just one of them, the movie, it would be a whole lot better. I think that's probably right. But I also feel like then you would, it's a completely different movie because this movie is trying to gain its potency from the fact that like, this is how the world is now. Look at what, you know, look at what the internet has done. Look at what, this... But it's such a far-reaching subject to do that that you're obviously going to have emissions everywhere. Like, there's absolutely nothing really to do with gay life on the internet no. in this movie. You see, no. like, one gay teenager, but, Which... like, that's a whole thing that, like, if you're wanting to have this panorama... I appreciated what... that just the gay character just wanted to watch um, Breaking Amish. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I, yeah. I, I think, you know, thank God for small favors and that, like, I'm trying to imagine what this movie would have done with a gay character because everything in this movie oh, is yeah. so after school, especially, and, like, top top notes of easy controversy where it's like, oh, we've got a girl being over-sexualized. We've got an eating disorder. We've got, you know, violent video games, you know, and suicide and... And all this sort of stuff. I'm surprised, A, that guns never came into it. Because I'm like, that's the next yeah. step. Is like someone brings a gun into school. where That's where all these things go. I'm trying to like follow down the 13 reasons why path, right? And mm-hmm. so I'm like somewhat thankful that like there wasn't a gay character to like get beat up. You know what I mean? Like something would have happened where it was just like, all right, great. Like that's... It's also kind of remarkably sex negative, which always bothers me. Yes. Yeah. Except for, again, the part where Ansel Elgort slams Timothy Chalamet down on a lunch table, which was... <laughs> that was very sex Very sex positive. <laughs> so that, yes. Dennis Haysbert is about? so sexy in this movie. Haysbert's good. Haysbert's good in a very brief scene. Um, I think Dean Norris is actually pretty good in this movie also. From, yeah, uh, from he plays uh, Ansel Elgort's dad. Ansel Elgort's dad, who, who enters into this romantic relationship with Judy Greer. I think those scenes are, again, this is all speaking relatively. I don't think anything in this movie is particularly great or even that good. But, you know, among the better parts of the movie are, are that. And also, again, 
Caitlin Deaver, I want to talk about her for a second because this is future a, Oscar winner Caitlin Deaver. She's so good in Booksmart this year. I know that like everybody came out of that movie sort of like with a different fave who seemingly wasn't her. Where like if they weren't praising Beanie Feldstein, they were talking on and on about the little shit from um the ABC sitcom. What's his name? I Noah Galvin. thought Noah Galvin was easily the only bad person in that ensemble. Oh, that's interesting. That's Tell me more about that, because most people are like, I love Noah Galvin. He's Noah like, Galvin my, just like, really exists animal. in a completely... D- it's not that he's bad. It's that he is performing in a different movie than what Booksmart is. And everybody else knows exactly what Booksmart is yeah. and plays to what that movie is. And I don't think that that performance is at all aligned with the movie. And like you could maybe say that's the character, but like I think this movie is smart enough that like it would have its version of that character that fits into like that high school panorama that that movie is. Yeah, I agree. And I think like you look at like what Billy Lord is doing. Yeah, she's great. I loved her. I know people were of how that could be. People were kind of extra about loving her, too. But like I'll allow it just because she's. I genuinely really love her, and I think she's doing some, like, really weirdo shit in that movie that I very... And the guy who played her, um... Is it her stepbrother? The one with the um, car? Or are they, or is he just, like, a guy with her? I forget what his name is, but he's so good and so sweet. Wait, I've got um, it in front of me. Hold on a second. Booksmart. Because I was like, I want him to get the praise that he deserves, because... While you look it up, I will talk antithetically to what you were saying about Billy Lord she's incredible in that movie like I haven't laughed at as hard at anything this year as her just like happening to exist in a scene there's a there's a moment where she just like gives this like wide-eyed kind of like look about just like yeah of course I'm here like that kind of thing and it's yeah so good. Skylar Gisondo is the guy who yes, played Jared, so sweet. who is on um, Santa Clarita Diet, or was because that show's been canceled. But um, I love that guy. But actually, but like to me, by far the best performance in that movie is Caitlin Deaver. I think she's plays, she's funny and also incredibly grounded, and plays this like queer girl in this very lived-in kind of way, and this very. Yeah. Um, empathetic without like actually like calling attention to the empathy it's just like very much um you know the fact of it not to spoil it for people who haven't seen book smart yet if you haven't how dare you um (laughs) that sex scene she's really good in just like the kind of like i don't know hopefully this doesn't sound creepy but like the way of like I don't know when you have your first sexual experience of it's like, Oh, I guess this is happening. Um, Okay. Of like figuring it out. And also like, she's happy that it's happening. Like there's this really kind of like moving way that she approaches that scene and like fumbles in a really weird, funny, real way. Yeah. And so already, even before men, women and children, she had been in the first thing I'd ever seen her in was the second season, the beginning of the second season of Justified. She shows up as this girl whose father gets killed by Margot Martindale and the sort of uh, the organized crime of the the Kentucky Hills. Right. Where like now all of a sudden she's in danger. She's, you know, all offense got to keep her safe. But it's not this thing where like it's just like she's the helpless girl. Right. She's incredibly capable. She's incredibly smart. And she keeps recurring throughout the rest of the series because it's just like, oh, right. This girl like can handle her shit. And while still being, like, decidedly a girl and not this sort of, like, she's not, like, an Arya Stark type or whatever, right? Where she's just, like, you know, murder child or whatever. And 
so, so, so good in that. She ends up also being in Short Term 12. Which is where I first saw her. And she's phenomenal in that movie. Yeah. Like, opposite Brie Larson. I think that was the movie where everybody realized Brie Larson could end up being an Oscar winner one day, and it ended up happening very right. quickly after that. That is a, Everybody in that movie yes, that is, such is a, going to be an Oscar winner. That is such a sneaky, amazing cast, right? Brie Larson has already won an Oscar. Rami Malek's in that movie. He won an Oscar. John Gallagher Jr. is so good in that movie. I absolutely love him. If he keeps him. getting roles like that, yeah. like he absolutely could be an Oscar Lakeith winner. Lakeith Stanfield... Is so great in that movie. Caitlin Devers, Stephanie Beatriz from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is in that movie. It is just a stacked, stacked cast. Listeners, if you haven't seen Short Term 12, I'm pretty sure it's still on Netflix. It's on watch Prime as well. It's You can watch it for free on Prime. It's so, so, so good. And Destin Daniel Cretton, who wrote and directed that movie, is going to be at Toronto this year with a new movie called... Just Mercy. Just Mercy. Which I'm I'm trying to remain cautiously optimistic about it because this is a little bit more capital P plot heavy, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's about a civil rights attorney. Which and... I'm sure we will eventually do the Glass Castle that he directed. Oh god, I forgot about the plot Glass heavy. Castle. Yeah. I'm also cautiously optimistic about that movie. The thing about that movie was that it was supposed to be released next year and they bumped it up to this year hmm. which at least spells some confidence yeah that one's got brie larson jamie fox michael b jordan o'shea jackson jr rafe spall it's a really really good cast so looking forward to that just mercy from destin daniel cretton how did we get into this oh right uh yeah caitlin deaver caitlin deaver is okay this is in the this easiest movie. movie to fall down a rabbit hole of a million different things because like everybody almost everybody in this ensemble we are like justice for this person yeah like we love them yeah Even justice for emma thompson to be honest <laughs> yes although i i like to what did you think they told emma thompson she was doing narration for because it wasn't this <laughs> like did they think she was doing narration for like a planet earth kind of a thing i think that's at least like the like pitch they gave her is like we want you to be planet earth for people sexting but she was just like why am i talking about pornography and they're like it's just to warm up it's just to test the levels it's fine like we'll get you like do the carl sagan stuff like when you're on but like just talk about talk about this guy whacking off for the moment and in another movie where that element doesn't feel so mean-spirited and so like rubbing our noses and shit yeah it would be really funny and, like, I could see how Emma Thompson would think, oh, this would be really funny. And, like, yeah. Oh, you know, know who else is in this movie? Speaking of, like, people who you fall down rabbit holes for, is the guy who plays um, Adam Sandler and Rosemary DeWitt's son, the one who's who can't have sex properly because he's desensitized by pornography. Which also, again, if you know about this author, the this movie's weird focus on, like, the effects of online porn shouldn't surprise you because literally it's like the subject of most of his writings is like people who watch porn all day and jerk off and it's just like great i mean thank you thank you for bringing this like crucial issue to life but so the guy who plays the son of adam sandler and rosemary dewitt was on the second season of american vandal playing the like Ah. weird kid who was suspected of doing the uh the thing where whatever like he put like poop in everybody's food Right. 
Damn. I, don't I already know forgot. I Sorry, American, American Vandal. Vandal I thought you were good. What's up? I don't know if I can do that show, gang. Oh, listen, you're fine, and it's over now, so people are going to, you know, stop talking cool. about it. But I get it. Let's talk a little bit about Adam Sandler, because... He's barely a factor in this. I Like, we should Barely talk about a factor, him, but... but, like, when this was still within potential Oscar conversations, he was definitely at, like, the top of that conversation. Well, uh, right, because ever because since... Because whenever he straight... Like, we just talked about Jim Carrey, where it was like, that was very, very much, like, they were going for that. Yes. But Adam Sandler has had a few times where it doesn't feel effortful in the way that Jim Carrey did that he's in a potential Oscar vehicle and it obviously hasn't happened yet. And well, it could potentially happen this year with the Softy brothers movie uncut gems. Well, but I'm still skeptical because the thing with Adam Sandler is it never makes it past the theoretical realm, right? Where like he made all of his like big post Saturday night live Movies, Billy Madison, 95, Happy Gilmore, 96, all of the, like, Adam Sandler genre, right? The Waterboy, <laughs> Big Daddy, Little Nicky, all these movies. So then in 2002, Paul Thomas Anderson casts him in Punch Drunk Love. And it's, you know, everybody sort of scratches their head about it. And he ends up, it's one of those things where a really smart director casts a actor who you wouldn't expect in a way that capitalizes on all of the qualities from his other stuff, like all of the, like, cause the Adam Sandler character, essentially the sort of like the prototypical Adam Sandler character from all his comedies is, you know, sort of underestimated, you know, schlubby regular guy given to, uh, blowing his stack over seemingly like small things. Right. That's, yeah. you know, yelling at a golf ball in happy Gilmore or whatever. And so punch drunk love really capitalizes on that in a really, really clever way. And it's that movie is the sort of, uh, contrarians choice for best Paul Thomas Anderson movie. I think it's the most, um, friendly towards people who maybe get a little beat down by the, melancholy masculinity of a lot of like i mean like this movie is melancholy masculinity but it's also like it's easily the most romantic of paul thomas anderson's movies mm -hmm. it's easy i mean it's got the whole thing with the the song from popeye and it's it's there's something to that movie that i think appeals to people who wouldn't normally be part of the cult of paul thomas anderson yes yes i would put an asterisk next to this that i think you know it, uh, on a certain level, um, Phantom Thread is a version of a lot of those things yeah, yeah, of like yeah. the kind of romance of it, the like sad boy masculinity um, in a way that I think is poking fun at it in a way that maybe like Punch Drunk Love is just kind of marinating in it. Um, but where, yes, where do you come down on Punch Drunk Love? Um, I love it. I mean, like, I like Paul Thomas Anderson much more than you, but I love that movie. Yeah. So then ever since Punch Drunk Love, because, like, that's a movie where, like, the critics really loved it and really loved Adam Sandler in it, but it did not, it decidedly did not do anything awards-wise. Like, even Magnolia... Too weird for then. Right. Magnolia was definitely a step down awards-wise from what Boogie Nights was, but even Magnolia got the Tom Cruise nomination, the screenplay nomination, what have you. And Punch Drunk Love didn't really get anything. And so it was seen a little bit as a 
amiss from that perspective. And like we talk about Jim Carrey not getting Oscar nominations for things like The Truman Show, like Sandler didn't even get Golden Globe nominations. So there was definitely some kind of a resistance to the idea of rewarding Adam Sandler for stepping out of his um, genre. So, of course, he steps right back into his genre. He does anger management. Um, he finds this, he, he sort of he revisits the the one sort of micro genre that does work for him, which is Fifty First Dates in 2004. But then 2004, he tries for, again, the dramedy thing, this time with which James is, L. Brooks. Which I kind of feel like is more like when James L. Brooks asks you to be in a movie, you're you are in that movie not and it's less like he was chasing oscar in the way that jim carrey oh, was i don't think adam think sandler's closest, ever been chasing oscar no like he, the i think one thing about adam sandler is like when you're talking about oscar you kind of have to want it a little right, bit and you right. have to show that you want it yeah and he doesn't so like you know glad hand and like kiss babies a little bit and i don't right. think he cares like the closest true. he's maybe gotten to that where it was like let's do that type of movie is rain over me well, we're getting there. So, um, sorry if I'm taking my time with this, but whatever. No, you're like, okay. There's not you're a whole fine. lot to talk about. So, yeah, Spanglish in 2004, which is a legitimately, objectively terrible movie, right? And I want to see if he got any kind of ancillary, like even like a satellite nomination for that, right? We're like, pop, we haven't pop, talked pop. about the satellites in a hot minute. What's that? I would bet that he did not. He for... did. Paz Vega got a couple things. Famously, Cloris Leachman got a. Wait, I thought Cloris Leachman got a SAG nomination. Am I wrong? It's quite possible. I thought she got one yes, of the she major did. precursors. she did. She did. Cloris Leachman got a nomination. nomination is Punch Drunk Love. What's that? His only Globe nomination is Punch Drunk Love. Oh, he did get a nomination at the Globe, so I'm completely yes. wrong and up my ass about that. All right. Well, good to know. Anyway, it didn't come to much. Wait, so he with 2002, he would have lost to Richard Gere for Chicago? Uh, is that the same year? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So anyway... Spanglish is terrible. Yeah, he was satellite nominated for Punch Drunk Love, but not Spanglish. Interesting. All right. So then again, Spanglish flops, and he goes back to The Longest Yard and Click. Click being an Oscar movie, weirdly, although not for him, it is uh, Oscar nominee for makeup, of course, because it is weird old man makeup. And then you're right. So then 2007, it's Rain Over Me, which is a movie we will probably end up discussing. It's Mike Binder, who was the guy... Um, from TV's HBO's Mind of the Married Man, which is a remarkably shitty HBO show, probably one of their worst. And then he, among other movies, has directed The Upside of Anger, which is one of my kind of pet favorite underrated movies, certainly underrated performances. I think Joan Allen, as I've mentioned before, is phenomenal in that. And then, like, Binder's also done real shit, like that movie... Um, Black and White with Octavia Spencer and Kevin Costner. Have you ever seen that? Black or White, sorry. No, that was a movie that like premiered at TIFF. People hated it, so the they same, pushed it out of the Oscar season. The same TIFF as Men, Women, and Children. 2014 at TIFF was like really bad when you look back and think of it, to the point where the movies That's that end up emerging of, from it. Um, I Saw the Light, which we did an episode on. No, I saw the light was the next year. It was the year after that. Was oh, wow. Never mind. 2014 was the year where the big ones that emerged from that festival were The Imitation Game and The Theory of Everything, which then ended up showing up everywhere that Oscar season, down to Eddie Redmayne winning the Oscar for Best Actor and that uh, Imitation Game winning the Oscar for 
adapted screenplay. Both of those are decidedly, I would say, mediocre at best, like mixed to positive movies, but they were easily the most Oscarable things coming out of one. Also Whiplash, but Whiplash had been a Sundance movie. And coming out of TIFF, it just felt like there wasn't anything better. So they just were like, all right, give it to the Imitation Game, right? That won the People's yeah. Choice that year. So anyway, um, Mike Binder makes this movie Rain Over Me about this guy who lost his family and the September 11th attacks and um, rekindles this friendship with an old friend of mine. And it's about getting past grief and all of this. It was pretty well reviewed, but like never became an awards season movie that year for like whatever reason. Have you ever seen that movie? Yes, I have. And it's it's OK. Yeah. Um, I remember it being pushed out of the Oscar out of the previous year Oscar season. You're right. It opened in and March. into like March. Yes, yeah. you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which used to be way more of a thing than it is now. It also was titled something sli- something different for a while. Right. Wasn't that... I think it was like not rain over me, but like something with an apostrophe in it. Like it was spelled weird. And people were like, you know, maybe we should use a full word. In the title of a movie. <laughs> yeah, very possibly. Um, yeah, I've never seen that movie. Like I said, at some point... Don Cheadle's really good in that movie, if I remember correctly. So which one of them is the one who lost his family on 9-11, and which one is the one... Adam Sandler. Yes, okay, all right. And then so Cheadle's his like old friend or whatever. Right, right. Interesting. Okay, so then again, so Sandler, again, is in a movie that could have plausibly done Oscar stuff, but it didn't. And so again, he goes back. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. You don't mess with the Zohan. Then double yikes. Yes. Double yikes for that. Although I know a lot of people who stick up for you don't mess with the Zohan and I don't get it, but okay. Like that's fine. That is a movie I saw in the theater because it was a hundred degrees in Brooklyn and I didn't have air conditioning in my bedroom. So congratulations. You got my $12 off of that one. Um, His next attempt at doing serious shit is 2009's Funny People. Where he's essentially playing himself. Essentially playing himself. Or like a version of himself. Right. For Judd Apatow, who of course was longtime professional collaborator. They've done a lot of... TV stuff together. They both produced Zohan. that show. Um, yeah, Zohan being one of them. They pro- both produced Undeclared, that show on Fox for that lasted like a year that I really loved. That introduced me to Charlie Hunnam. Um, Leslie I, Mann is really great in Funny People. Like you can kind of defend that movie until it decides it wants to be The Great Gatsby for some reason. <laughs> yeah, a lot of and people it's do like, defend. Here's funny a people. whole other hour and a half to this movie, and. Yeah. A lot of people defend funny people. I end up arguing with all of them. I think it is an incredibly uh, frustrating and self-indulgent and self-perpetuating movie where uh, a a misanthropic comedian makes the case for himself. Do you know what I mean? Like it's Yeah. I think it is two movies very much at odds with each other and Leslie Mann is great. Eric Bana, I remember being funny in that. I remember appreciating how weird and funny Eric Bana was in that movie. But, you know, whatever. I remember comparatively very little. There's also the whole Seth Rogen character who has, like, an entire side story where he's trying to be a successful TV writer. And 
I don't know. I find it super frustrating, and I find the people who love it are giving it credit for things it maybe shouldn't get credit for. But that is my thing with Adam Sandler in general. So again, he retreats, grown-ups, and just go with it, and Jack and Jill, and That's My Boy, and all this other stuff. He does the Hotel Transylvania movies, which, like, whatever, everybody deserves to have their own animated franchise. That's fine. Yeah, And then when Men, Women, and Children comes this year, but it is weirdly the same year as another one of my favorite Oscar buzzy footnotes, which was also at Toronto this year, which was also cratered. Uh, Yeah, Tom McCarthy's The Cobbler, which was so bad and immediately was tagged as so awful that I never saw it. And when McCarthy then rebounded the very next year, with Spotlight, which ends up going on to win the Oscar for Best Picture, I'm like, all right, I am never going to see The Cobbler, because it was... Tom McCarthy's thing was, at least with me, was like all killer, no filler, right? He's like, Mm -hmm. every one of his movies is great. Station Agent, The Visitor, Win-Win. Did we just talk about this last week, or did we talk about Tom McCarthy recently, about how much we love Tom McCarthy? This was, yeah, one of the episodes that we recorded last week, this was a topic of conversation. But it was like, every single one of his movies was like, good in this very kind of, um, like, small-scale way that I really appreciated. Small-scale, big heart. Human drama. Human drama, empathetic to the nth degree, so good. And then the cobbler comes out, and everybody's like, fuck no. And so I'm just like, well, I'm not going to ruin my whole thing with Tom McCarthy. This is also why I've never seen Pan or The Soloist, although I'll end up at seeing The Soloist. Because we both are Joe Wright fans. Joe Wright fans. I have still liked every single Joe Wright movie I've seen. I do not recognize um, we will definitely do Pan. The Soloist at some point. The Soloist is fine. I will sacrifice will my not... pristine my pristine opinion of Joe Wright to see the soloist for y'all. So there's it that. will not tarnish your love of him. Yes. It's a fine movie. So anyways, can we talk about Adam Sandler's best performance? Which yeah, I it hope came we a couple years on. ago. The Meyerowitz story. The Meyerowitz story. New and selected. So yeah. So up until this point, I had been decidedly resistant to any kind of Adam Sandler poptimism, where it was like you would see it coming up where people are like, you know who's actually a great, who's like better than we give him credit for is Adam Sandler. And every single time I was just like, no, stop it. We're not doing that. Money has been his reward. He doesn't also get to be like respected more so than, you know, his talent would allow just because we want to find like an alternate take on Adam Sandler. I get that people really, you know, allow themselves to love his movies, but just like enjoy them for what they are and don't like, don't try to oversell me on that. I was always of that stance, perhaps obnoxiously so, but that's my truth. And then the Myra stories happened and I was like, hey, you know who's great is Adam Sandler. And like, we're the only people that are like, Adam Sandler for the Myra story, best actor ballot. Um, yeah. He's phenomenal in that movie. Everybody is giving in that some great. of their best performances. I think Ben Stiller maybe gives his best performance in that movie. Uh, ben Stiller had a better performance that year, and he was still great in Meyerowitz stories. And oh, Brad Status, you know, is also very you wonderful. know, I ride for Brad Status. I am the I do one well. Brad I do Status well. fanimal out there. So there's a scene where, like, you hate to reduce it down to just an actor cries, but there is a scene that Ben Stiller breaks down and starts crying, and I started crying watching it. And I was like, Ben Stiller is making me cry. What the hell is this? Wait, in which? 
in Meyerowitz stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He also breaks down and cries, and Brad's satisfied. That movie did not make me cry. But so, yeah, Meyerowitz also, I mean, Elizabeth Marvel. Everybody loves Elizabeth Marvel in that movie, and rightly so. She's great. I know Emma we, Thompson is also very strange and good. Very strange Meyerowitz. and good. We immediately canceled Dustin Hoffman right after this movie. But, like, I got to see this movie before that happened, so that was good, because I think Dustin Hoffman is also really good. You've always movie. known Dustin Hoffman was a friggin' asshole, though. Like, of we knew course. that about But, we but were the able thing to is, like, Dustin Hoffman, even though he has the role that should be, that, like, is always considered the story for those movies, or people yeah. get nominated for those kind of roles yeah. all the time, because he's the aging father yeah. um, who's going through, dem- he goes through dementia in that movie, right? Well, he has a like uh, stroke. He's yeah. He he's the sick one, but like everyone else around him is the real like performance story of that movie. I mean, yes, I think I still think he's at, he's very good. But like a lot of there's a lot of um, also the woman, the girl who plays Sandler's daughter, who was in that movie Tramps. I want to say. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, her name escapes me right now, but she's also wonderful. She's great. They do that wonderful little song. Grace Van Patten is who I'm thinking of. Yes. Um, she's great. Rebecca Miller shows up for like two scenes. Um, Sigourney Weaver shows up as herself. Right. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. It's just a wonderful movie. It's a great New York movie. It's And it's, of course, we didn't mention, it's Noah Baumbach, who was doing his best work in years like outside of the partnership he has with Greta Gerwig. Like for a while there, I was like, is Noah Baumbach good or is he only good when he's, I mean, that's a very Jason Reitman thing. Is he only good when he's with this one creative partner? Because even with like the squid and the whale, which I know a lot of people flipped out for, I was sort I was cooler on the squid and the whale than most. I know a lot of people love Margot at the wedding. I think in many ways, I love Margot at the, Margo wedding. At the wedding, the pieces of Margot at the wedding are maybe greater than the sum of its parts, but Meyerowitz, I was fu- I fully flipped out for. I thought it was great. So it's a great movie. Yeah. So Sandler, <laughs> as it turns out, all is good, all is well with Adam Sandler now. And now I don't even out- know if he's good in Men, Women, and Children. I think he's just like there's this tendency. He's for not Adam good Sandler. in Men, Women, and Children. He's it's but he the doesn't funny get people a think where it's like either. he just plays a depressed sad sack. It's the thing it's of like we're gonna take this comedic this big comedic presence and the way we're going to deal with him is we're going to drain him of anything of any color. It's Tom Cruise or Tom, Jim Carrey, Tom Cruise. Why did I say that? It's Jim Carrey and the majestic. It's what we were talking about a few weeks ago. Yeah. I would say the best thing about Adam Sandler's performance in this movie is how much I actually believe him and Rosemary DeWitt as a couple in that, like they do kind of develop this relationship together that I buy That, like, I think people underrate, like, the ability of actors to do that and have chemistry on screen, particularly in, like, this case, when you really think they wouldn't. Yeah. You are more optimistic about Uncut Gems than I am. Talk about that a little bit. I don't know. I mean, we both did not like Good Time. I think that the softies are good filmmakers if I think they want to punish me for some reason that I don't fully understand. I also saw um, Heaven Knows What, and I that movie is a lot. Um, Heaven Knows What, I also saw Heaven Knows What, and you are that is the right description of that movie. It is 
a lot. It's it, it's very um, accurate depictions of addiction and like hardcore drug addiction. Co-star co-starring my favorite human scabies colony, Caleb Landry Jones. My least favorite. I'm going to be crazy and everything actor, Caleb Landry Jones. My nemesis. I love him. Um, yeah, Uncut Gems is uh, Benny and Josh Safdie's next movie. It is to open on Christmas Day, and it's playing the fall festival, so clearly they are trying to position it for some kind of awards run, if possible. Uh, Diamond District, New York City, sort of jewel heist, maybe? Or maybe not a heist, but maybe just a drama about somebody who's, you know owes people money. selling diamonds yeah so yeah sandler's in that who else is in that movie adina menzel the weekend is in that movie lakeith stanfield as we have mentioned before we love lakeith stanfield so yeah got adina menzel adina menzel and adam sandler together at fucking last y'all <laughs> in a softies movie god <laughs> as it was always fucking meant to be amazing amazing so yeah we'll see we'll see how that goes i have i have now softened from i will not see that movie at tiff to as long as it's not up against a movie that i want to see better i will probably see it at tiff and we will see you at the schedule here's the thing about the softy brothers is they're the kind of people who are so in love with their own stuff that they will cast themselves they're a little high on their own supply that they will cast themselves in the role of the mentally challenged that young, is brother of, of Robert Pattinson. Biggest problems with good time. And then we'll get an independent spirit award nomination for it because sometimes the world rewards the wrong things. Alright, do we have anything else really to say about men, women, and children? It's kind of a disaster and also Should we talk a little bit about how much of a box office bomb this was? And I like mean, how quickly it bombed? Yeah. Topped out it it domestic gross was seven hundred and five thousand dollars. The most it ever played was it's on 600 screens. It's third week. It platformed. Okay, this is the thing I wanted to talk about, right? So first weekend, it platforms very um, small. I think it was like 17 screens, right? 17 yeah. screens across the country at platforms. Per screen average, among the new movies, it was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, ninth among new movies. Do you know what made more per screen than Men, Women, and Children its first weekend? Um, left hmm. behind <laughs> the the second the the, the Nicholas Cage left behind, um, which was still based on the same wackadoo Christian novel, um, something called Hater, something called Bang Bang. Like these are these are movies that you've never heard of before at all, and, and they are making more of an imprint. More of a per-screen imprint than did Men, Women, and Children, the movie directed by the two-time Best Director Oscar nominee, Jason Reitman. It truly... When the movie eventually went wide two weeks later on 600 screens, its per-screen average was $500. Wow. Which equates to, like, I don't know, like... 40 people seeing it if you saw this movie in a theater you very likely saw it by your damn self which i should have looked this up before we actually did the record but this has to be close to our lowest grossing movie i think our lowest grossing movie might be this or the paper boy maybe 
Can but I also I think... say though, I should I I it's easy for me to make fun of per screen average for men, women, and children. Do you know what did worse than it was a movie that I loved? Was Reese Witherspoon um... in The Good Lie? Oh, which was I another never movie saw that played that. TIFF that year that I saw at TIFF, and I really I was like the only person. And it was just fully overshadowed by Wild. By Wild, right? It was the other Reese Witherspoon movie that played at that festival, and everybody was like, "Wild's the good one. The Good Lie is the one." And the Good Lie had the veneer of the white savior movie because she was the woman working at um, whatever, like the bureaucrat working mm-hmm. to help these refugees from Africa come to the United States. And there is the veneer of that, but watching the movie, it's a lot more, there's, it's, it's less gross than you want, than you're maybe thinking. And it's actually really, really good and really, really well done by all involved. And Reese is great in it. So I will stick up for that movie. That movie made 1825 per screen at, its opening weekend, which was like a good thousand dollars less than men, men, women, and children. So, men, women, and children, however, is not our lowest grossing movie we've ever discussed. It is truly the Paperboy, which made six hundred ninety-three thousand. There we go. Yeah, so nobody went and saw went men, women, and children. It seems that the its reputation truly did pre- precede it on Rotten Tomatoes. I actually expected worse on Rotten Tomatoes. It is only. Uh, 33%. I expected something in the teens. So clearly a few people The movie it. does level off a little bit towards the final act. At that point, it's a little too late to like yeah. salvage this movie. But like, there are some good things in this movie. And like, some of it is based on the performances like Judy Greer, who yeah. like kind of... And like Ansel Elgar, Caitlin Deaver, their relationship is good. Yeah. It got a couple fresh reviews. Owen Gleiberman really liked it. And Gleiberman? Gleiberman? Gleiberman. I don't know. Whatever. Um, Owen Gleiberman really liked it. Todd McCarthy gave it a fresh. I want to go to the review, though, by Wesley Morris, who at this point was writing for Grantland. And he reviewed it as part of this, like, movie roundup in early October and he his very first sentence is this is one of the worst movies of the year maybe the worst so that's how he's like starting out he compares it to crash he says it's to social media what crash is to racism a movie about the way we live that never leaves its makers living room he's pretty harsh about all of it he agrees with me that Ansel Elgort is the best performance in it so at least we are on that um wavelength he says towards the end of this review though he says you feel for Reitman in a way you don't feel for Paul Haggis, because we were comparing it to Crash, in the way you don't feel for Paul Haggis, who wrote and directed Crash. Haggis works with nauseating certitude. Reitman just seems lost. Between this and Labor Day, one of last year's most risible movies, it's as if Reitman were trying to tell us something about himself, if not us, but lacks the taste or talent to say it. He has adult ideas, but isn't enough of an adult to do much with them. Unquote. And honestly... If uh, y'all think we are ever mean... <laughs> if Jason Reitman had any hair on his head after that, after reading that review, I'd be surprised, because fully, fully scalped from that. He also says, he closes it with, he praises uh, uh, Ansel Elgort for a second, but then he says, Elgort's reluctant jock feels like an unconscious stand-in for Reitman, a son so desperate to be unlike his famous father that it's killing him. Reitman might not have to get over it, but his movies do. 
Yowza. Wow. Yowza. It's really, really amazing. Going for the jugular, like, that's kind of, like, just making it personal. Is that fully necessary? I, you know what? Honestly, after reading that pull quote about the book and after all the stuff about Ghostbusters 2020, I will allow it. Yeah, we will see. Yeah. I'm so. glad that he praised Ansel Elgort, though. Ansel Elgort's good in this movie. He is. We He's a lot Ansel. better in this movie than he was in, because this movie came the fall after um, The Fault in Our Stars. The Fault in Our Stars was that summer. And... I like that movie. What's that? I like him in that movie. That I... character super earnest, and he just like kind of underplays that earnestness I think in a he way does... that makes the movie watchable. To I me. think he mostly does what that role requires him. I hate that kind of a role. It is, and I think that's what put him under the eight ball. I honestly feel like two things put Ansel Elgort in a lot of people's shit list and has never gotten him out of it. One of which is honestly his name. His name sounds ridiculous. But also the second thing is that role in The Fault in Our Stars, which was so popular, and it's YA, so a lot of people have a knee-jerk thing against YA anyway, and it's YA about girls, so especially so. But yeah, then he plays the sort of the uh, affectedly cocky guy who's like going to win you over by kind of negging you a little bit, and but then also like telling you about how the world works. And it's mm. such an off-putting character, and I think you're right that he plays it how he should be playing it but ugh, god did i not like that character i'm gonna be interested to what see what people think of him in the goldfinch because mm. that character i don't think is going to be something that people respond to like i loved that book but like you don't it's not the character you respond to in any I way i haven't read the book so tell me what the character is like what's the what's the premise? i mean you you see this character grow up the premise is he is uh, in a museum with his mother, um, he lives in New York City, and the museum is bombed. Oh. And he is the only one who escapes the bombing, or there's like a few people that escape the bombing, but he makes off with the famous painting of the goldfinch. Um, and he moves across country to live with his father in the suburbs of Vegas, but he keeps this painting the whole time, and it's his secret. Um, and eventually comes back to the city, um, all while like becoming addicted to drugs and like living in the New York City upper crust um, and keeping the secret of this painting and like I guess never really dealing with his mother's death. It's very internal in a way that I don't know if yeah. Ansel Elgort is going to be the performer to make it interesting. Yeah. Even though I like him, I'm very curious what's going to happen with that movie. I wonder if now we have to put a spoiler warning at the beginning of this that we spoil the the Goldfinch for people. I mean, <laughs> you know, people, hours. you know, people are going to yell because people are, are weirdo about spoilers. Anyway, are those the people that listen to our show? I, I don't know. Not. Maybe I should think better of our readers. You guys wouldn't complain about spoilers for the goldfinch, would you? Thanks. Okay. Um, anything else? <sighs> oh, boy. People be sexting. People truly, truly be sexting. Um, do we want to talk about... The thing about this movie is it doesn't really give us an entry point into the Oscars kind of at all because it never no. it never even, like, threatened it. Once that Toronto premiere happened, it was dead in the water, honey. So... We can talk about adapted screenplay because, like, truly, there are things in this adapted screenplay lineup that are as bad as this Yeah, screenplay. adapted screenplay would have been, like, the field to which this... 
awards push would have gone if it had been allowed to happen, which it wasn't. Not a great lineup, gang. No, this was the year we mentioned the imitation game before that had come out of this year's Toronto Film Festival. It went all the way to a win. It won the People's Choice. For it won the People's Choice. It was for a minute there an Oscar front runner, and a lot of people just sort of assumed that the subject matter, that the fact that it was this like biopic of you know, because obviously biopics about gay mathematicians and code breakers was you know. Oscar bait galore. And British. Do you remember after this movie though that like Morton Tildum was such uh, had such Oscar clout that people were like passengers is going to be our it's going to be a nominee. Yeah, wild. Ugh. Anyway, Yikes. so also the Imitation Game had one of the most grading campaigns ever. Oh, like, we, which people still such a punchline. Still, still honor the it. man, honor the film, honor where the man, it's honor like the film. Obviously, like so what happened to Alan Turing is horrible and a travesty, but like this idea that like you would be writing the wrongs that were done to this man yeah. if you gave this movie best picture it's, is so offensive. It's the it's the ideal crass marketing ploy and that it says the thing that other things it does the same yeah, thing it, that other campaigns made, do, but it's being real overt other about it. Campaigns became the text of this yes. campaign. Yes, it said the loud part. So it gross. said the quiet part loud, as people are often saying about uh, the Trump administration these days. It is, it, yeah, it's putting the cynicism of the ploy right out front, and that very rarely works. But so, Imitation Game, even though it sort of it had been a front runner for picture, a lot of people thought Cumberbatch. I thought for sure that Cumberbatch was going to win. And that all sort of recedes. Cumberbatch gets surpassed by... That That race becomes essentially Eddie Redmayne versus Michael Keaton. Eddie Redmayne ends up winning for The Theory of Everything, which is the movie that I always would twin with The Imitation Game, both because they're both biopics played by... Um, how do I put this kindly? British actors with fervent followings whose outward appearances make it strange that there's a lot of, like, sexualized feelings about them. There's this whole contingent of, like, the Sherlock type of fans where it's, like, huh? awkward, skinny British white men are, like, uh, the catnip, I guess? Yes. Something. Cumber, the, the Cumber Bitches? Is that who you're talking about? The Cumber Bitches? Yes. I guess. What, does does Red, Eddie Redmayne have fans like that that have their own name? I don't think he's got quite to that point. But I remember people, There's a, there was a lot of, there was a lot of more attraction to Eddie Redmayne than I think. And, like, I don't. I, I like Eddie Redmayne as an actor. I really do. I know he's a per he's an actor who is very love him or hate him. I actually thought he was great in the theory of everything. I think doing that kind of physical performance is harder than it gets credit for because it sometimes is viewed as a fast track to an Oscar. That sort of, you know, yeah. physical disability. I think stuff. if he hadn't won that Oscar, he absolutely would have had like a like free pass straight to winning for the danish girl yeah so and better he won for this say, nay better he better he won for the theory of everything for sure cumberbatch is an actor who alternately i think can be good or can be very irritating i think in the imitation game he's okay good at he's fine he's good, he's good in that i think keira knightley is 
the better one in that, and she ends yeah. up losing supporting actress that year to Patricia Arquette. But so, Imitation Game ends up getting what very much seems like a consolation prize, which is adapted screenplay. For a second there, it seemed like that was going to go to... See, the thing is, do you think it was ever going to go to American Sniper, or did the fact that like that book was as controversial, and the real figure of Chris Kyle was controversial enough that they were never going to give it an award. I mean, I I don't think that keeps things from winning Oscars, honestly. Yeah. In a lot of cases, I think if American Sniper had hit as hard as it did and come out earlier, I think we could be looking at Best Picture winner American Sniper. That's possible. Because um, it just possible. happened so late. Um, remember the AFI year. that year that like it was on the same day that Selma and American Sniper played AFI and like both of them were like wet prints that played for audiences. I think even Selma didn't have closing credits yet. I had seen Selma by then. I had somehow ended up on a list of people invited to see an early. It wasn't even that early, but it was like still definitely unfinished. Um, mm -hmm. But not in any, like, substantial way. But I, you're right in that, like, I don't think it had closing credits. And so I think I'd already seen Selma by then. I had, that was my number one movie of 2014. It was really, really amazing to see it in a room full of, I think it was, like, friends and family of the film and also, like, um, civil rights figures. Not, like, mm -hmm. I don't know. The room was definitely, like, there was a charge in the room because it was... Uh, um, sort of a select audience, right? Mm -hmm. And that was really something. And so, yeah, 2014 was weird. Selma should have been more than it was. I think Birdman, I still find Birdman to be, like, the biggest puzzler of my Oscar-watching career. I love it. In that, like, do you really? Okay. I am a Birdman apologist. The people pe despise that movie now love it. in a people way that I don't it. think they despised it at the time. Some people did. Some people did. Yeah. Some people did. But, like, I think largely the tenor on Birdman these days is that it is awful. More, um, more, and I think more some that of that has other. to do more yeah. with The Revenant, but like I love Birdman. But like, remember Boyhood went through a real roller coaster in terms of like, you know, underrated, overrated. It's about, you know, why are we rewarded? What about girlhood? Like this whole kind of, you know, roller coaster of um, public opinion about that. I think Movies like Whiplash had the same thing. Whiplash was like such a sensation coming out of um, Sundance. It was a huge crowd pleaser in Toronto. And Whiplash then, like, was Whiplash and American Sniper were the ones that were gaining steam. But since then, and everything else was just kind of on an equal footing in a way. Right, but since then, it was I like think the, the reputation for both of those movies theory, have but... have sort of gone down. Yeah. Grand Budapest yeah. was the big Wes Anderson Oscar breakthrough that like only me thought was like underwhelming. And uh, me too. We've talked about this. We have talked about this. It's so strange. It's so strange to me that that was the movie that everybody, because like Wes Anderson was a filmmaker who with, even with like Moonrise Kingdom a little bit, I feel like there was a little sense of like. Should have happened Moonrise Kingdom. I think I like Moonrise Kingdom better than Grand Budapest. I think Anderson's best movies are Royal Tenenbaums and Fantastic Mr. Fox. But like, yes. you know, smart people can disagree. But then. It just seemed like there was such... Even when the Grand Budapest trailer came out, I remember there being, like, this active sense of Wes Anderson fatigue and, like, everything is little diorama boxes and yada, 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 and all these, you know, big 
splashy white casts of people. And then the movie came out and everybody was like, nope, this is his masterpiece. And I was just like, I think it's a funny movie, but like, I can't remember whole chunks of that movie. There's a lot of like weird tonal stuff with violence in Grand Budapest that I never was able to reconcile. And I'm not sure if the Wes Anderson milieu is like where I go for, for funny violence. So the only thing about Grand Budapest Hotel that I would say is underrated is Rafe Fiennes. Oh, yeah, that's the other Ray thing. Ray Fine is, should have been a, a Best Actor nominee. So that. Grand Budapest Hotel ends up winning as many Oscars as Birdman that year. Wins four Oscars. No other movies won more Oscars than that. It was nominated for, again, with Birdman, the most nominations with nine. And they couldn't find room for clearly the best part of that movie, which was Ray Fine's. In a Best Actor so year... wild to me. In a Best Actor year, was that... There was weakness... Wait, so... Eddie, well, no, I, this It's more so that like the nominees were exactly what the Oscars were going to nominate. Yeah. And like we as like snobby movie watchers are underwhelmed by it. Right. I don't think a lot of these actor nominees are not people I would have nominated. But you're right. I don't think there was among the votership a lot of weak points of entry here. It was Eddie Redmayne who won Cumberbatch, who we mentioned Bradley Cooper for Sniper. Steve Carell for Foxcatcher and Michael Keaton for Birdman. That's that's a I tough just nut throw to the crack. Brits out, frankly. I mean, I do too, but those were the two. Well, and Keaton were the front runners. So, yeah, obviously, I think Fines. I think was my number one that year. Fines was my best actor of the year in a movie again that I don't love, but I think he's fantastic in it. So mm-hmm. weird. Twenty fourteen's a weird, weird, weird Oscar year. I will say. Back to men, women, and children. What are tell? Let's look at those adapted screenplay ones because, like, we mentioned that adapted screenplay was so like anemic. At least when you're kind of looking at it, yeah. Imitation that, game like, wins. Graham Moore gives that weird speech where he's like, um, like keep Austin weird, essentially, but about like gay people. It's and but, but he didn't mean. It, people assumed it to mean that he was gay, but he's he not gay. Right, weird. He, and he mentioned that he'd had a suicide attempt when he was um, a teenager and was a misunderstood teenager, and Alan Turing was somebody who like he looked up to, and people assumed that to mean he attempted suicide because he was gay. He's not gay. Weird. It was that weird. Was Other nominees, American Sniper, as I mentioned, The Theory of Everything, which... Um, yeah, I don't I think that's a pretty that's kind of a because it was nominated for other things. I don't think there's anything mm-hmm. specifically about that screenplay that is worth nominating it for. Whiplash, Damien Chazelle, his big breakthrough based on his own short film, which I always sort of hate that too when like that counts as adapting is when you're adapting your own short film. There was a lot of confusion at that time because wasn't one of the majors was it like BAFTA which like really went for that movie? Didn't BAFTA nominate him for original? Someone because it was one of those did. things where it was like the full screenplay was written before the short it's, was made. It's, it's a silly, silly way of moving yeah. into it. Everybody has favorite. different rules. Yeah. And, and then, then the fifth was Inherent Vice, which when Phantom Ooh. Thread got all the nominations that it did, I think one of the signs that we maybe should have realized Phantom Thread would do really well is this nomination for Inherent Vice that like Paul Thomas Anderson, even for his weirdest movies is still kind of in the Academy's wheelhouse. Like he's so that prestige assigned to him. What are, has he 
beyond Punch Drunk Love, is that the only movie that he hasn't gotten a screenplay nomination for? The Master. The Master was only nominated for acting. That's right. Only for acting. How strange. Yeah, you're totally right. Weird. Um, But they genuinely, he's not been nominated for Boogie Nights and Magnolia and Inherent Vice and Phantom Thread. Yes. I, as I've mentioned before, obnoxiously so probably to a lot of you who love it, I don't love Phantom Thread. I don't know what there is about it. I think its fans have turned me off of it as much as the actual movie has, and that probably doesn't say many nice things about me, but there we are. I genuinely think Inherent Vice is a mess and not good. I think it's good. I mean, it's not near my favorite movie of his. I think it's kind of... I think the best thing about it is the tone that he achieves, which is so like strange and hard to place and hard to ascribe to any one thing. But if you can get on its wavelength and kind of feel where it's guiding you, I think it's like just like this kind of pot haze smoke of a movie that like puts you in a different headspace than as you leave than when you arrived to the movie. But uh, that being said, it is, far from my favorite paul thomas anderson movie. i feel like once upon a time in hollywood is the version of inherent vice that i like i'm still it's interesting like it makes me want to like once upon a time in hollywood more than i did when i first watched it i yeah. need to see it again yeah but like thinking about it is i like more than the i feel like i liked that movie i think it's interesting to have watched the discourse on that movie kind of evolve over the it's only been now a week since it's opened publicly but there was such a predisposition to because of the controversy at can where he you know discredited the one woman's question for asking about margot robbie's character not or margot robbie's character sharon tate um not having a lot of spoken dial or spoken dialogue in the movie there was a lot of predisposition to finding the movie objectionable and watching people actually see the movie and have more complicated reactions to it because i don't think Mm -hmm. it's one or the other i think i what i will say is go and find the article that allison wilmore wrote about this for buzzfeed where she goes into quentin tarantino's female characters and it is a much more satisfying examination than just following people arguing on twitter about whether tarantino is good or bad for women i think it is a much more complicated question than that. I want to be Allison Wilmore when I grow up. I do too. She is one of the very best that we have. And she always is it's her thing. She's always able to take these really contentious topics that people argue about in a way that I'm almost like, I don't want to hear about it anymore. I wash my hands of this mm-hmm. whole thing. And she's able to find a way to talk about it in a way that doesn't, it doesn't ever come down hard on one side or the other, but it also doesn't feel mealy mouthed or like, you know, both sides. It's just like, Mm -hmm. it is an honest examination of a thing that's, you know, that there are, you know, complications to it. And I think she's so, so, so talented at that kind of thing. So anyway, absolutely. Yeah. So So yeah, men, women, and children, like not anywhere close for all of the obvious reasons, but like adapted screenplay, there's things in there that aren't that are on the same level as that screenplay. I would argue. Which screenplay? American Sniper in Theory of Everything. Yeah. So who's your winner of those five? Those five? I mean, I'm not. I mean, like, I like Inherent Vice and I do really like Whiplash, but like I don't necessarily like them for screenplay reasons. Right. 
but I would probably give it to one of those two. Maybe. I mean, the true winner should be wild. That I mean, my big thing with the 2014 Oscars was I was mostly just furious that Wilde was only given two nominations and it was for acting. And it was seemingly a disregarding of all of the work of the actual movie and reducing it to just... I mean, not to denigrate acting nominations, because acting nominations are what we watch these awards for, let's be honest. But I think it was... I think it treated Wilde as a star vehicle rather than a... The triumph of Wilde is that Reese Witherspoon was able to get this movie put together as a producer and as a creative talent. And the creative talent that she gathered together in Jean-Marc Vallée and in the uh, production team and everything about that movie, I think, is so well done. Not everybody has to agree with me that it's like one of the, you know, five or six best movies of that year, even though I think it is. I but, think it is, too. Um, but to to recognize the movie as one of the best in the acting categories, so like clearly you saw it. And clearly you enjoyed the, you know, the top two performances in it. And yet to pass it over for things like, again, like clearly inferior things like adapted screenplay or, um, I mean, I don't even know. Like, I, I, that's I, here's the thing that best picture lineup, the closest one that you can say actually centers a woman is the theory of everything. Which that that dubious lead actress citation? I get. I mean, maybe not. I dubious. don't know if it's dubious. Like, I think there's a whole chunk of that movie that You're is right. her movie. You're right, but it's, like, it's not the most interesting parts of that movie. But like, that's not her fault. No, I mean, if anything, she's the one making those parts interesting. But yeah, it, it's a so boy focused and macho and yeah. All right, listeners. so I do feel like this is maybe all we have to say about. Men, women, and children. Is there any closing thoughts? Nope. Yeah, kind of. Pale blue dot, man. What a like. Lucy in the sky with diapers. I I mentioned that at the beginning because like Ansel Elgort's character just sort of says that to at least two or three characters in this movie, and this this most deadpan like, you ever see pale blue dot? Like it's almost like, did you know the human head weighs eight pounds from uh. <laughs> From Jerry ah, Maguire, it's just sort of like a non sequitur ah, con- conversation starter that is just like, dude, stop being like, we get it. You're like pretty sad boy. Don't start every conversation with have about you seen Carl Pebbly Sagan. Dot? Also, when the counselor asks him what that is, and he goes, it's a, "It's a YouTube video that I watch." And I was just like, "That's perfect." That like, it's not a, it's uh-huh. not an original work in and of itself. It's nothing about Carl Sagan. It's just, it's a YouTube video that I watch. These fucking children. Oi. Yes, indeed. All right, so... You want to get into the IMDb game? I do. I do want to get into the IMDb game. Do you want to explain what the IMDb game is and does? Yeah, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mention that up front. Um, After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Keep things moving. Would you like to give or guess first, Joseph? I will give first. All right, so... One of the Jason Reitman movies that we did not discuss on this podcast was Thank You for Smoking, which was the movie he made before Juno, Golden Globe nominee for Aaron Eckhart. I'm not going to give you Aaron Eckhart, though. I'm going to give you 
I believe the most prominent female character in the movie, although I, it's been a while since I've seen it, so maybe not. But Maria Bello is in that movie. So Maria Bello. I kind of miss Maria Bello. Known for, for Maria Bello. No television, no voice work. Uh, the hi- A History of Violence. Correct. Fantastic performance. Probably should have been nominated for that She is on that poster, peeking up from over Vigo's shoulder. Um... I genuinely never remember if the if she was nominated for the cooler, so I'm going to guess the cooler and the auspices that she was nominated. Uh, you're right, and you are wrong. You are right that it was Ooh. it is one of her known for, but she was not nominated for it. Okay, all right. She so, was so the I one who right. I think she got like Globe and SAG nominations and did not end up getting. Who'd she mm-hmm. get snaked by? I think she got snaked by like Shori Agadashalu. Uh, okay. Um. I feel like she's really low build and thank you for smoking. First female build is probably Katie Holmes. Interesting. Um, World Trade Center. I think the she's billing on IMDb like is like in order of um, appearance. appearance, which is such mm-hmm. it's a bane of my existence. Weirdly, Wikipedia seems to do better with that, and you're right. It's Aaron Eckhart, Cameron Bright, Katie Holmes, Maria Bello on IMDb, or on Wikipedia, which which I'm just going to guess Cameron is... Cameron Bright. I know. Remember the era of Cameron Bright? Yeah. That movie... Birth. And birth masterpiece. And um, uh, Running Scared, which I always... I, I You always defend Running, Running Scared. Scared. I should watch that movie. You should watch it. It's junk, but it is fun junk. Anyway, World Trade Center is not one of Maria Bello's known for. Okay. Um, strike one. The Jane Austen Book Club? No, strike two. Maria Although, Bello's bless part. you, sir, for remembering that she is the lead of the Jane Austen Book Club. Can you remember who the female cast of the Jane Austen Book Club are? Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, um, Maggie Wait, no. Grace. I don't think Maggie Gyllenhaal's in that movie. What am I remembering? You're thinking Casa de los Babies? Maybe I'm thinking Casa de los Babies. Yeah. Um, Maggie Grace, though, right? Yes, Maggie Grace is one of them. I will say there are, five, like a... there are five major women in, this, in, in that little clutch. Is one of them like, oh, God... I know Hugh Dancy's in that, right? He is, but he's a man, so he doesn't count. Wait, but he yeah, does join the little circle, the right? He does join the book. Trying to remember the poster. All right, trying to there the is an older actress. I can't remember. There's somebody with dark hair who, why do I think that it's Maggie Gyllenhaal? I don't know, but it's definitely like a wig on a person who's never had this haircut in anything else. It's like, okay, you've seen Fleabag, right? Uh, are you kidding me? I, It's flowing through my veins. So the bad haircut on the sister in Fleabag is what the wig on this woman <laughs> most looks like. Shout out to Sean Clifford. Shout out um, to Sean Clifford. Uh, oh God, who is it? It is... Oh, the older actress is Kathy Baker. I was going to say, the older actress is somebody who we've mentioned in a episode before. There is another... Not as older actress, um, who is mostly known for television, who is also in the book club. Ooh. And then the I one don't... with the wig is 
an actress we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Actress in a wig. She normally does not have that haircut. She does. Is not. she normally brunette? Yes, but like a a softer brunette. In some movies, Emily Blunt. it's what's Emily that? Blunt. It's Emily Blunt. It's Emily Blunt. Oh y'all, you gotta go <laughs> check out what Emily Blunt's hair was in the Jane Austen book club. It is something something. All right, so you're now uh, okay. only missing Who's the one. other actress, so I can guess the rest of Maria Bella. It's Amy Brenneman. Love Amy Brenneman. Love okay, Amy what Brenneman. are my years Sorry. for Maria Bello? Right, because you got the Jane Austen Book Club wrong. So your years for Maria Bello, you're missing two of them. They're 2000 and 2016. 2000 is Coyote Ugly sure Girl. Sure is. Yes. Sure is. You Coyote Ugly. I will watch some Coyote Ugly if it is on television on a Saturday afternoon. I will settle in. Coyote Ugly soon. Coyote Ugly, what a cast on that movie. People forget that, like, Melanie Linsky's Tyra in that Banks movie. Tyra Banks is in Coyote Tyra Ugly. Tyra Banks is in that movie. Um, John Goodman is her dad in that movie. Adam, Remember Adam Garcia from Riding in Cars with Boys we did the episode on? Yeah. He's the, like, love interest in that movie. Bridget Moynihan, who uh, lost her, her man Tom Brady to Giselle, is in that movie. Mm-hmm. Leanne Rhymes shows up at the end and dances on a bar. Love her. Love her. What? Um, what's the other year? 2016. Oh, so it's recent. It's recent. Dang, and I can't remember anything you recent. You maybe haven't seen this. Mm. It is a genre film. An action movie? No. A horror movie? Yes. Okay. From 20. 20- She's the second lead... All, all things considered. The lead is an actress who I really like, but you maybe have no conception of. It depends on whether you've seen, like, the small handful of bad movies that she's been, like, decently good in. That's a bad clue. Okay. Um, Maria Bello plays the mother. Okay. Of the main character. It's is a movie... it a horror franchise? No. Okay. It's a movie that had another movie with a very similar um, conceit around that exact same time. Um, huh. What was that one called? Like it's, is it like piggybacking off of like an Insidious? No. Well, sort of. In, in, in just in the fact that like everything after Insidious is, is piggybacking is, like, off yeah. of Insidious. Is it also a James Wan movie? I don't believe. Like, so. is it a? It's not a Conjuring movie. I've seen most of those. Um, no, it's definitely not a Conjuring movie. It's not an Annabelle. It's not an. Is it the like one that, that had um, Ethan Hawke in it? What was that called? Sinister. No, that is all part of like. It's not. It's not. Um, that is a James Wan movie, or like. Uh, okay. Like that's yes, it's not part of that whole thing, but like. There's a ghost in this movie that like presents itself the way the ghosts in in Insidious does, but like I said, everything presents itself. Oh, it's like astral projection. Maybe. I definitely haven't seen this. Whatever it is, um, maybe I should. I like horror movies. Um, there, there were two movies around the same. I want to say it's the same year, but let me look up um, when this other one was. That were basically, oh, that's what it was. It was, yeah, same year, 
where um, impairment of the senses was like the the central scary senses. Hmm. They can't hear. So no. They can't see. Yeah, well, so the thing in this movie is you have to keep the lights out or else, like, bad shit will happen to you. Mm. And Is it lights out? Yeah, it's lights out. I said it in the thing. <laughs> you yeah. said the word lights out. Thank you for that assist, friend. Yeah, did you see it? Did you see lights out? I did not, but it's I mean, okay. that's the type A lot of, of people got I... mad at it because the end of that movie seems to be making the case that um, the mentally, essentially... Maria Bello, the mentally ill mother, is like manifesting these like bad things because um, the spirit is attached to her like it's sense like of where people got mad because they thought that it was it was telling people to commit suicide for the good of their children. Like because you know how horror movies are all metaphors for like like maternal shit, right? So it was the mo- the the spirit in this movie was essentially the manifestation of her uh, mental illness around being a mother right and so she I kills mean, herself to save offensive than just dumb uh yeah mostly mostly that but so don't speak was the other one where um was it don't speak don't breathe don't breathe was the other one where like they go and home invade the blind the blind guy i saw that that movie is like actually maybe offensive or like oh, kind really? of That's a little uncomfortable but it is authentically terrifying and a really well-made horror movie. I heard that part about it, and I haven't it seen it. It has a really stupid twist ending. Okay. Like, just fully needless. All right. All right. Do me. All right. So, I also went the Jason Reitman route with an actress in a Jason Reitman film. I went with Allison Janney. Oh. Okay. Allison Janney, who I don't think has shown up in another Reitman movie, has she? I should uh, mention that, like, when we mentioned J.K. Simmons, J.K. Simmons has been in, like, every Jason Reitman movie, except for maybe except Labor for Day. Except for one, I think. I don't think he's in Labor Day. He's, like, on the phone in Young Adult, and I think he's on a phone in Tully. Yes, I think And he might right. be on a phone in Labor Day, too, for all I know. I'm gonna add these to the log while you think of Allison Janney. So one of them has got to be I, Tanya. No. What? Is there any television, by the way, for else? There's no television. That's insane. So no West Wing. Sorry. No West Wing, no it. mom. Um, that's really surprising. And also no I, Tanya. So nothing that she's won awards for. Nope. That's insane. Else you can Jenny? make the argument You for... give me the worst fucking ones. <laughs> Sorry. Um... <laughs> I think Allison Janney's decently. These, I will say, these are movies that have shown up on other people's IMDb's previously. They are not... Is one of them American Beauty? No. All right. So you got your two no's. All right. I'm going to give you the years. 2002. Two for 2007 and one for 2011. J.K. Simmons is in Labor Day, by the way. Fantastic. All right. Years again. One more time. 2002. 2007 there's two 2007s and 2011 there are two oh wait one of them did i i, I didn't say juno because you do that fucking thing where you do the one that that's related to the i 
you think that that is a mischievous thing on my part, it is not. It Sometimes is. I even do it to be like, let me help you with this one. It is because I never do it because I don't want to give you one for free. Well, we have different tactics, obviously. Yes, Jesus Christ. Are you guessing Juno? Yes. For one of the 2007s is <sighs> Juno. All right, what's her other 2007? It is her comedy yes <laughs> great yes but like that's not the first thing you would call this movie oh action comedy no what are the other years 2002 2011 so not spy um 2007 has shown up a lot it is Definitely a comedy. It is an adaptation of a comedy into... Oh, oh no, 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 no. Say no more, say no more, say no more. It's Hairspray. It is Hairspray. Okay. All right. The 2002, other... 2011, 2002. I understand why you haven't guessed this yet, but you will be so happy that it's there. Oh, it's The Hours. It's The Hours. All roads lead back to The Hours. All roads also lead back to her sexy ass red leather. Her sexy ass red leather jacket in the hours is so good. So it's good. Also, Great costume. We love you, Anne Roth. I also love a character who's like an important footnote, which is that whenever anybody quotes the Merrill line from that movie about Sally, I think I'll go buy the flowers myself. And she's Sally. Allison Janney is it's Sally. Sally. All right. 2011 is another movie that has shown up on IMDb quite a bit, and I feel like you forget this movie. No, I just remembered it. It's um, because I always start by thinking of what were the best picture nominees that year. It's The Help. It is The Help. The Help. Okay. Yeah. It's still deeply weird that those are her movies and not... West Wing. And not West Wing or Mom or I, Tanya. I, is the craziest one to me. Like, my God. I right. just wonder what that movie's cultural impact is really going to be at the end of the day. I feel like it's going to feel weird that she got her Oscar for I, Tanya. I I don't know. In the I legacy of Alice and I Danny? think it's going to ultimately be one of her most memorable roles. I do. Yeah. I do. Time will tell, and we shall see. And that is our episode on Men, Women, and Children. Thank you for listening. If you want more This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? You can find me on Twitter at Chris V. File, that's F-E-I-L, also on Letterboxd under the same name. You can also find me writing regularly at The Film Experience. Yay, you should go read him. He is really good. Thanks. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, spelled the exact same way. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with visibility on Apple Podcasts, so go put down your violent video game or pro-Anna message board and write us a sparkling wonderful review about how much you love us thank you once again a reminder we will be doing a mailbag episode soon so send us your questions to at had underscore oscar underscore buzz on twitter or even better email us at had oscar buzz at gmail.com you don't even have to bother with underscores yeah this is the last week for those so get your questions in while you still can or else we'll never speak to you again just kidding we will 
That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Have you ever heard Pale Blue Dot? Have you ever heard of Pale Blue Dot? This is YouTube video. Everyone's a winner, baby. That's so loud. That's so loud. You never fail. You're satisfied.